We're going to talk about stewardship. And we'll talk about generosity. And the reason for it is we need to know about it. We need to learn it. And it needs to be a part of our lifestyle as a believer in Christ and a part of this church. But we've gone through our budgeting process. Began in July. Developed that budget. Many of you had input into that for our 2016 financial plan of ministry. Last Sunday, you affirmed that. You voted yes. And then you also selected 10 deacons. All of that is noted in your bulletin for today. And the theme of that uh, financial plan of ministry is the power of generosity. As all of us practice generosity the way the Bible teaches it to us. Now think about the power that we have together with the, the stewardship of people here in this church and what we can do beyond what we are doing for the glory of God. This week uh, you, you had uh, your stewardship commitment cards mailed to you asking you to be prayerful about making your stewardship commitment for the coming year, asking you to complete those cards and bring them next Sunday. We'll place them on the open Bible on the altar table, and we'll pray over them, asking God to bless those commitments and the people um, who make those commitments. Now, today we're going to hopefully give you a challenge about uh, making that decision and about some prayerful guidelines for your life as a steward and how you manage the things that God gives to you about money and material things uh, in your life. We're going to look at a section of scripture that um, has been uh, maybe a little bit skewed in its translations and for some people because it uses the word shrewd and that Jesus affirmed that word. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But we're going to talk about this particular parable in Luke 16. Uh, it's, it's a parable that talks about our money, our possessions, and how we handle them to the glory of God and what pleases Him. And that's not, that's not um, just one incident or isolated teaching, because out of the 38 parables that Jesus told, 19 of them, out of 38 parables, 19 of them dealt with how we handle money, our finances, and how we do it all for the glory of God as we handle our material things. So this is a challenge for us today uh, about generosity as well as about the total concept about stewardship. Because stewardship is, is more than just giving money. Stewardship is a lifestyle. And it regards all aspects of our life including our money. Uh, and a life reflecting good stewardship is one which uses time and money and spiritual gifts all to the glory of God. See, our good stewardship involves how we make our money, how we give our money, how we invest our money, and how we spend our money. And as believers in Christ, followers of Him, we want to do it, or should want to do it, always to honor and glorify Him. Now, I want you to watch and listen to this video. It's actually a three-point message that you can take home with you uh, in, in about two minutes, okay? Listen to the video. Money is a necessary part of our lives. With it, we buy food and clothing, we pay our bills, and we spend it in countless other ways. But when the Bible looks at how we spend our money, it skips right past these spending habits and looks instead at our hearts. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus tells us that our hearts belong to the thing we treasure most. He then warns us that it is not possible to serve both God and money. This is why it is important to take time and reflect on what the top priority in our hearts is. So let's look at three questions we can reflect on to ground ourselves in the Bible and really take an honest look at who or what our hearts are serving. First, what does my spending say about what makes me most happy? 
We all spend our money on whatever we think will bring us the most joy. This means that if our joy is really coming from God, then our spending will show it. But if other things have stolen our heart, we'll find that we have few resources left over for helping the cause of the gospel. Number two, does my spending suggest I'm collecting for this life? The Bible often reminds us that we should store our treasure in heaven where it will never be lost. So when we're tempted to collect for a few short decades here, we need to be reminded that only money invested in the kingdom of God will last. And number three, is my spending explicitly supporting the spread of the gospel? Jesus is coming back, and if we truly believe this, we will do everything we can to see our friends and family come to know Him. We can't buy conversions, but a generous heart can be a powerful example of how our trust is in God and not our money. And oftentimes, this kind of generosity can open the door to Christ-centered conversations that we never thought possible. No one is going to be perfect when it comes to managing money, but when God is truly at the center of our hearts, instead of the desire for more money, we will be happier and more generous because our hope is secure in Him. Well, it's a great message there, and and that quick video, and uh, things to think about. Take home with you. In fact, those three great points are a very concise three-point message right there. Now, let's look at the scripture for today. The parable that my heading in my Bible, NIV translation, says the parable of the shrewd manager. Now, you might have it as a dishonest manager or whatever. But let's start looking at verse 1 in chapter 16. And notice, first of all, who Jesus is telling this to. Jesus told his disciples, this is followers of Christ. So we say this is part of the early body of, of Christ, the church. And so that's who we are today. Because he wants us to make sure we understand these principles about generosity revolving around stewardship. Okay? So here's the story. He said there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now that's kind of the turning point in this story right there. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, just a quick listening to that, hearing, reading it, whatever. You might be wondering, how did the man, how did the owner in here, and Jesus telling this story, commend this, what we would say is a dishonest uh, steward? You know, he, he obviously uh, um, has stolen. Looks like he's stolen from his, his uh, owner, right? The master. Well, that's nothing new. That's still going on today. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, employee dishonesty, in other words, employee stealing from work, cost American business over $50 billion annually. Isn't that something? That's a shame. Well, I think the best word to describe this manager in our story today would be the word Jesus uses, and it's the word shrewd. Now, sometimes we might think that's a negative word. Shrewd? You really want somebody in the kingdom of God to be shrewd about their money? Well, listen to what Jesus says that it means. I mean, what the dictionary says that Jesus used that word. The dictionary says that being shrewd means being marked by clever, discerning awareness. So that means clever, you're smart, and discerning awareness. Now when you go back and you look at this man in this story, I think you can see, yeah, I believe he was. He was pretty clever. And he was discerning about his awareness. Now, it also helps us understand this story when we understand how life back in that day went. Oftentimes there would be absentee landlords or owners of property, a lot, a vast amount of property, and they would leave a steward or a manager in charge of it. And they'll be going away and then come back and call them to account. In fact, Jesus told a lot of stories that revolved around that same thing. There would also be those who would be managers who had a right to say, well, you know, I can get a commission out of this sale. The owner, the master would say, I want you to get this much for this crop or whatever the product is, for the wheat that's here in the story or, or the olive oil that's in the story. And then the, uh, the manager for the owner could get a commission out of that. You're in sales, you know something about getting commission. So that's kind of what he was doing. Maybe, uh, maybe that's what he was giving back to the people. He was, he was foregoing his commission when he called them in and had them to rewrite their bill. He was giving up his commission so it would look better to the owner. Now I want you to notice something else about this story. And Jesus puts this in here in kind of a sly way and we have to kind of read it carefully to pick up on it. But Jesus tells us here that there are really only two kinds of people in all the world. He divides the entire human race into these two groups. Some of what he called people of this world, and the others are what he called people of the light. Now, which group do you think you fit in? Well, let me give you some help about deciding that. People who do not have a personal relationship with God, who have not come to embrace what God's love did for you on Calvary's cross, where he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins, so that you could be forgiven, your chains could be broken. Then he says, you're of this world. And this present world is not all that there is. There is another world. This world is temporary. There is a world to come that is eternal. This world is physical. There is a spiritual world. On the other hand, there are those of us who have embraced Christ as Savior. And we have walked out of the darkness of sin into the glorious light of the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So you need to decide this morning. Which group are you? In which group do you live? And so are you a part of the world? Or are you part of the kingdom of God? Now, when you look at this crooked manager, look at the concept of his stewardship, you've got to look at what he did. And it kind of relates to us as well, the shrewd manager. 
He knew he was facing a deadline. The master had come back and called for accounting. He evidently got word of what was going on. Maybe this guy was taking 50% in commission. Who knows what was going on. But he knew he was facing a deadline, and he formulated a plan, and he acted before the opportunity was gone. Now, you translate that into our life today, and it's like this. In the area of stewardship and giving for the kingdom of God, we're facing a deadline. None of us live forever. We've only got our lifetime on this world to leave our mark and to do it financially. And the other thing is, do you have a creative plan? This guy was shrewd. He had a creative plan. He was crafty. You know, do you have a creative plan to influence your world before that deadline? Are you letting opportunities pass? So that leads us then to look at, as we consider our stewardship, not just as we come to this time of promoting our budget and asking you to make stewardship commitments for the coming year, but always in your life as a steward. You need to make a decision about stewardship that will affect the rest of your life and how you will use what God has given to you for His glory and to make an eternal investment and to leave your mark on this world as a child of light. Now Jesus gives us three principles of generosity. But before we talk about those, I want to tell you why He does that. There are two reasons. Number one, he, he, our generosity needs to be focused for it to be productive. You know, it's one thing to be generous, but it's another thing to be foolish with your money and just give it away. You know, if you don't have any particular cause that has accountability, then, it, then you're just giving your money away. You're, you're throwing it away. It's like the woman that died and I read about left $15 million to her cat. $15 million to a cat. Think about what could have been done with that money for the kingdom of God. So our generosity needs to be focused to be productive. The second reason that he gives it to us is because our generosity should reveal a mature Christian belief about the real value of money. I know every year when we talk about stewardship, there are people that say, why are we talking about money? The church doesn't need to talk about money. Yeah, it does. When there are 38 parables and 19 times Jesus talked about money and stewardship, and you look at the people who haven't managed well what God has given to them, the number of people by bankruptcy, the number of people who are underwater, literally some of them now after this flood. You know, we need to have, we need to hear that. And you see, our generosity then reveals something about our, our mature Christian belief in the real value of money. We know that money can be used for good causes just as it can be used for bad causes. Uh, money itself is not bad, it's not evil. The Bible never says money is evil. It does say that the love of money is evil because it's led many people to bankruptcy in their spiritual life. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know people like that, don't you? They've been too busy for God, making money and spending money on themselves. I'm sure some of you, probably many of you that I'm not aware of, read the Wall Street Journal. Got a lot of good facts. Most of it is about finances. They've gotten some other things in there. And they uh, uh, tell the story about finances. They give advice about investments and all those kinds of things. They give you the story about it. A few years ago, they ran this statement. Now, it was in the Wall Street Journal. This is what it said. Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to anywhere, everywhere, except heaven. And as a universal provider of everything except happiness. Now that's amazing that that would come from the Wall Street Journal, isn't it? Listen to that again. Money is an article 
which can be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider of everything except happiness. That's wisdom. That is sound financial advice, isn't it? Now, let's look at these three principles of Christian generosity that we just find in this story. First of all, number one, the best investment of your money is always in the kingdom of God. Best investment of your money is always in the kingdom of God. You've been watching the stock market, and if you've got investments in it, I'm sure you have. You've been watching it very closely. It's been very volatile lately, hasn't it? It's really gone down a lot. A lot of people have lost a lot of money. Came up a couple of days towards the end of the week, looked good. But you want a hot tip about a sound, proven place to make your investment? Invest your money in the kingdom of God. It pays eternal dividends. Jesus said in this story, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. If you're using the King James Version, it says something about mammon of unrighteousness. I believe mammon was, was the name of uh, the ancient Canaanite god of riches. So what Jesus is saying is we need to be clever in using our money so the end result will be seeing people in heaven. Reminder, you cannot buy your salvation, you cannot buy the salvation of anybody else, but you can give it to the kingdom of God so that it can be used that other people will come to know Jesus Christ. And again, I would say that the best place to do that, invest it through your local church. This is your storehouse. We have accountability. We give a, a full disclosure of, of a treasurer's report on, on a regular basis. We list it in the bulletin week by week what's given. And then we have a, a, a church conference where you have a financial report about what's going on. We have an outside independent audit every year. You know, nobody's cooking the books. We want you to make sure of that. At least I don't think anybody is. I hope not. Stewardship meets regularly to talk about that. And so we give a full accountability. And everything that we do, if you go back and look at your budget that we mailed out some time ago, you will notice that every category of that budget deals with ministry so that people can come to know Christ. Not only here in Northeast Richland County, but around the world. Literally around the world. So generosity towards the kingdom of God is a sound investment because through your generosity, people can come to know Jesus Christ. See, one day your money will be gone, and one day you'll be gone from your money. And only what you give to the kingdom of God will last for eternity. Here's the second principle, number two. Management of God's money reveals your level of trustworthiness. Management of God's money reveals your level of trustworthiness. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now Jesus mentions two kinds of wealth. First there's worldly wealth. See, that's the money that God gives us to use in this world. He owns everything. You know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills that the cattle are on. He gives us these material blessings, this money from the world. And he gives it to us so that we can buy the necessities of life. 
He promises us He will always meet our needs. Never our extravagant wants, but always our needs. And so when we hear this phrase about worldly wealth, you probably think like I did, first glance. Talking about somebody like Warren Buffett or or Bill Gates, you know, worth billions of dollars. Let me give you another way to think about how wealthy people are. Think about this for yourself. If you have money in your pocket that will buy you and your family lunch today, if you have an inside bathroom in your house, and if you drove here to church in your own car that's either paid for or you're able to afford to pay for it, you are more wealthy than 80% of the world's population. You ever thought about that? You are blessed. God has blessed you. He's blessed me. He's blessed all of us. And the main reason that God gives us that worldly wealth is to test us. Test us to see if we are trustworthy for the true riches. And what are those? It's not more money coming into your bank account mysteriously somehow. But it's spiritual blessings like peace, security, and strength. Spiritual strength. that They're so valuable you can't buy them at any price. So the issue is, you know, how should I be, how should I be trustworthy? How do I show that? Well, I think the first thing you do is you learn what the Bible says and you practice it about tithing. Giving that 10% back to God. That's a demonstration of that, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Out of Malachi 3, you know. Test me, says the Lord. And see if I'm going to pour out blessings upon you. On the commitment card, we ask you to consider prayerfully about being a tither, giving 10% to God. Those of you who do know the blessings that come from it. It doesn't always mean you have more money, but it helps you organize your spending and your planning about how you spend. And it keeps a lot of people on track. That's one of the blessings about that. And God has made it so easy for us, hasn't he, when he says 10%. You know, most of the time I can figure it out without the use of a calculator. 10%. All right, suppose you're making 30 thousand dollars a year. That's an easy figure to work with. And you say, okay, what would a tithe off of thirty thousand dollars be? Well, what would a tithe off of thirty thousand dollars be? Three thousand? Three thousand dollars. And you say, man, that's a lot of money to give to the church. Isn't it? Three thousand dollars out of my income? And you say it'd be easier if I made more money, right? All right, let's say you bumped up from making thirty thousand a year you make a million a year. Okay? You, you, you hit it big. You're making a million dollars a year. What would be a tithe off of a million dollars? A hundred thousand dollars? Who's going to write a check to the church for a hundred thousand dollars? You see, it gets more difficult the more money you make, right? It's more money you got to turn loose of. That's not the issue. The issue is faith and trust in what God says. To give him that 10%. See, God wants to know how well you are managing what you have now for his glory and in obedience to what he says to his word. Now, here's the third principle he gives us. Your level of generosity reveals the devotion of your life. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes it very clear. Just like I said, it's cut and dried. You're either of the world or you're of the light. He says here, you can either serve money 
or you can serve God. How about serving God with your money? That's what he's really challenging us to do. You see, money can be used for a lot of different things. It should not be the Lord of your life, but it should be used to glorify the Lord of your life, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So your level of generosity reveals the devotion of your life. If you're devoted to the money, and that's your Lord, you're going to want to hold on to it. You're going to want to grudgingly give it, if you give anything, and you're going to want to hoard it, and you want to hold on to it and keep it. It's mine. I earned it. Nobody else has a right to it. Who is God to ask for 10% of it? But if you're a true, devoted follower of Christ, you recognize that He paid the price for your salvation. Every blessing comes from God. And that you are dependent totally upon God. And you love Him for that. And lovingly and generously and willingly and cheerfully, you give back to Him for His glory. I think the the baseline for giving for a believer is the 10%. And then generosity begins over and above that. And so I ask you to be in prayer about that for this coming week. As you make your stewardship commitments and in the the years, months and years of your life. Young people, you need to learn this principle, practice it the rest of your life. Everybody, wherever you are in life, one of these days you're going to be separated from your money. Will it have made a mark in eternity for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the challenge that you give to us from these words of Scripture today and the wisdom of Jesus as to how you could take an everyday, ordinary event in the life of ancient Palestine and uh, teach spiritual principles about it that can radically change our lifestyle and, and our view about money. And so I pray that as we hear these words from your word, that we will accept the challenge uh, of stewardship and that we will live as children of light. And we will glorify you with how we make our money, how we spend our money, how we give our money. And that we will give to your kingdom first. And we will make that eternal investment that will pay dividends in people brought to know Jesus Christ here and around the world. Give us your wisdom and guidance as we seek to manage our money to glorify you and to prove our trust in you. In Christ's name. Amen.